Welcome to episode 322 of Live Happy Now. As the song says, you gotta have friends. But do you know just how good they are for you? I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and today's guest is Hal Urban, a lifelong teacher and author whose positive outlook has earned him the nickname, The Good News Guy. With his new book, The Power of Good News, Feeding Your Mind with What's Good for Your Heart, he looks at the importance of positivity in our lives. Today, we're talking with him about what friendships do for us and how we can better understand and tap into the power they offer. How welcome to Live Happy Now. Glad to be here with you, Paula. We are glad to have you here because you are the good news guy, and goodness knows we need some good news these days. So I, to start this off, I wanted to find out how you became known as the good news guy. Well, it started a long time ago. I was a teacher. I was a full-time high school teacher and an adjunct professor in a university, and I wanted to start every one of my classes in a positive way. And so I just asked people if they had good news. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, something good going on in your life you'd like to share with others in your family, in your community here at school or whatever. And they did. And they loved it. And it got us off to a good start. I had a big sign in my classroom says, who has good news? And I was teaching adults in the evening at the University of San Francisco. And they were people, most of them were in their 30s and their 40s. And I told them the way I started classes with my high school kids about sharing good news. And I said, I don't know how you feel about this, if you think it's kind of too childish or whatever. And they said, oh, man, the kind of day I've had, I'm ready to hear some good news. They ate it up, I think, even more than the high school kids did. So they were the good news people. I got the nickname with some of them called the good news guy, but I was just the moderator, basically. Well, where did that interest come from? What made you want to do that? Just your personal. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. The bad news made me and the kids want to do it. See, I taught subjects like American government and U.S. history and world studies and stuff like that. And I thought they had to be well informed about the present in order to to understand the principles of history and the principles of government and so on. And so I could teach better, but they didn't know anything about current events. So they had a little current events homework assignment in which they were to find five items in the news. It didn't take very long once they got developed. But one day a kid said, you know, Mr. Urban, for being such a positive guy, you should give a negative homework assignment. And I go, whoa, <laughs> me? Negative? What? And then they said, well, all the news is bad news. And so this was many, many years ago. This was probably back in the late 1960s, the early 1970s. And of course, I started thinking about it and I realized, yeah, all, all the news is, most of it is bad news. I read the sports page first thing in the morning because it always has good news on it. The sports page, they celebrate achievement, but the main news section does not celebrate achievement. They glamorize almost I don't know if glamorize is the right word, but they really dwell on failure and crime and death and disasters and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so we started doing the good news to kind of balance it up. They weren't just doing bad news all the time. So that's where it came from. That is such a wonderful approach. And, you know, you have a new book. It's your eighth one. And it's called The Power of Good News. Which, it is. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, one of the things I mentioned in the introduction is that I didn't write it because of COVID that we needed good news. It just happened to be a timing thing. I started writing that book a long time ago, but I couldn't get anybody to publish it because all the publishers said, you know, you should know that bad news sells and good news doesn't. And I said, I do know that. I've known that for many years. I said, but I think people would 
like to know more about good news, but I couldn't get anybody to do it. And then I found a wonderful publisher in Oakland, California, Barrett Kohler, that they had belief in it and they've been fabulous to work with. And I think they did a great job in putting a book out, putting it together and helping me write it too. Well, and it's interesting because even though you didn't write it for COVID, this really feels like the right time because it's not just the pandemic. It's also the division we're feeling in our country. It's the political discourse. It's all these different things that seem to be boiling up. So in your mind, how is this the right time for this book to be out? What I really hope that people who read it will get out of it is the message from the subtitle. It says, feeding your mind with what's good for your heart. If It's really a book about positive mental input. If you do things or with positive people, people that you really like, if you exercise, if you put positive information in your mind, you're going to feel way, way better than if you don't do those things. And so that's really my message. What can you do for yourself, you know, to improve your health and longevity and everything else? Because we can't change. It's not going to change the news that's going on. It's not going to change. No, we're not. And so changing ourselves is such a great way to do that. Gosh, the tough thing about this is there are so many entry points. There are so many things that we could talk about in your book. But for the purposes of this episode, one of the things you talk about is friendship. We have National Friendship Day coming up. So tell me, can you tell us a little bit about the benefits of having friendships? Well, you know, I'm one of these people who have my own personal belief and theory, because as I've gotten older, I realize my friendships mean more to me than they did when I was younger. I guess I kind of took them for granted. And then I also realized that even as you get older, you can always make new friendships. I kind of got a new career when I was 55 years old. I got involved in the character education movement, and then I ended up speaking and traveling all over. And I have met some of the best friends of my life after I turned 55. They're all over the country and in fact, all over the world. And your life is just so much better when you're with people that lift your spirits and laugh with you and share with you, you know, personal things and sympathize with you when you're down and and that type of thing. And so uh, that was just my theory. I didn't know there was psychological research on this. And then as I began writing the book, I learned a lot about neuroscience and friends do all kinds of things for us in terms of our mental health, our physical health and our longevity and our fun. You know, the amount of fun we have. (laughs) COVID really whacked a lot of people because they couldn't be nurtured by the people that they're usually around. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit because you do have some real powerful research in your book about our happiness levels and friendship. Can you talk a little bit about that? What it well, does you know, the, I'd heard the expression happy hormones a number of times, and I knew that there was one called dopamine and there was one called oxytocin and so on. But I didn't really pay a lot of attention to them. But when you start writing about something, you have to make sure you get your facts straight. And (laughs) I found a whole (laughs) bunch of studies, you know, of people at Harvard Medical School, the Mayo Clinic, the Harvard Psychology Department, and they've done research on all of this. And they've proven over and over and over that Spending quality time with friends is one of the healthiest things that you can do in your life. There's a study that's the longest one in history. 
and I can't remember the exact name of it right now, but I do mention it in the book. And it's the Harvard, I think it's called the Harvard Men's Study. I'm not sure because it, Harvard was all men, I think, when it started. And it's been this longevity of friendship that's gone on 60, 70 years. And it's an incredible study about what these guys' friendship has done for each other. And it's just so heartening to read that. And it reaffirms, like I say, what I believe. I dedicated this book to 21 people. People. And those are 21 people that I met at the University of San Francisco more than 60 years ago. And they have been dear, close friends ever since then. And we've never lost contact, regardless of where we go or anything like that. And we still have uh, reunions. And so it was a natural for me to dedicate it to them. Is there a difference in the quality of friendships with, say, someone you've known for years versus our new friends? Because I know some people who don't connect with their past, they keep recycling through new friends. And then I know others who are more like, oh, yeah, I've got these old friends. I don't need to make more friends. What's the balance? It doesn't have anything to do with the length of friendship. Some, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, some of the closest friends I've ever had are people that I've met in the last 20 years or so. And it's different for everybody. I grew up in a small town in Northern California, and I have pretty close contact with three guys that I played sports with, went to school with, and so on. I don't see them a lot, but of course, email and and all that helps us stay connected. But it just varies with the individual. I had a friend that I used to work with one time. He says, I'm one of these guys that only needs a small circle of friends. And I thought I was that way. At one time, but I realized, no, the more friends I have, the better off I am because they all offer something different. They all get my happy hormones going. So in my case, usually my suggestion to other people, I said, man, you get an opportunity to make a new friendship. Go for it. And again, there are different types of friends. Is it important to have a lot of different types of friends? I mean, what's kind of your prescription here for? Well, you know, it's it's important to me. Let me give you an example. I go to a gym every morning and I have friends there that I call my gym friends. Now, I've met some friends in the gym that we've done things socially outside the gym because we connected at the gym. But there's a lot of other people at the gym. I really like them. I see them. They're fun to be around. I've never seen them ever outside the gym. So a gym friend is not somebody that you would call a really deep personal friend unless you start doing things outside, you know, that gym. It just varies. I have season tickets to my university's basketball games, and there are people that I always see at the games, and they're my USF basketball friends. I see them at the dinner before the game. I see them at the game, so on. But I don't, I'm not real close to them. I don't share real close personal things with them. You know, and you mentioned earlier the pandemic and we weren't able to indulge in our friendships. But do you think it changed how we view our friendships? You know, I don't know if it did or not. It didn't change the way I view friendship. If anything, it just reinforced the fact that I know how much I need to be around people that I enjoy because it stimulates me. And again, it goes back to those hormones. They get revved up and you feel more alive. You feel like you have more energy. You just feel happier. And I'm really big on friendship. And I think it's just so much fun to make new friends. I introduce myself a lot to people, you know, that if I think I'm going to see them a lot, I'll introduce myself and ask them questions about everybody likes to be asked 
to tell their story and everybody has a great story. And so it's fascinating. You know, I hear a lot of people who talk about, and you kind of mentioned it too earlier, that when you're younger, it's different. It's easy to make friends when you're in your 20s and you end up with dozens, hundreds of friends. And as we get older, that changes. And I do know some people who are, you know, past 40 and they struggle with meeting people. Their kids maybe aren't at the stage where they're getting together with other parents and they're just having trouble finding ways to meet people. So as we go through life, what are good ways to be able to put ourselves out there and meet new people and make those friendships? You know, I, I don't know if there's a formula because the thing is our life circumstances are really kind of what dictates that. You know, if you're like, I went through a period of 10 years of my life where I was a single father raising three small boys I was the only parent and I was also working and moonlighting. I had hardly any time during those 10 years to have much contact with other people. Fortunately, I was a teacher and, and teachers in general are really, really good people. And so I could be with those adults during the day, but I was still, I was with in my class most of the time and I was with kids all day long. And then I had my three boys at home that night. So I, that was not a real great social time for me, but I was really committed to my teaching job and my fathering job. So it just, things changed afterwards after the kids got older and started with their own friends and everything. So are there any ways that people like right now, because of the pandemic, some people are still spending a lot of time at home. What are ways if you are at home, you're not getting out there socially, how do you go about nurturing friendships and also creating new ones? Well, one of the things that my wife and I have done now that things are loosening up after COVID is we've just started making contact with people that we used to get together with pretty regularly and say, hey, now that things have lightened up, let's get together. We had dinner last week with a couple that we used to get together three or four times a year with and hadn't seen them for about a year and a half. And uh, so we had dinner with them and it was like picking up where we left off. But I think you do have to reach out just like in making new friends. I think you very often have to take the first step, you know, say, introduce yourself or say something and find out whether you connect with a person or not. Usually when you meet somebody, you kind of have a feel whether you're clicking together or not. You know, like I met a guy at the gym and I just kind of kept running into him every day. And so one day I asked him what his name was and then we got to talking about special interests and he said he was really interested in college basketball. And I said, well, I have season tickets to the University of San Francisco games. Would you like to go sometime? And he said, sure. And so it turns out he lives not too far from me. And we end up going to the game, having dinner together and having a really wonderful time. But again, I had to know a little bit about his story before that friendship developed. Right. And so now he always reminds me, since you have season tickets and you don't always use them, let me know when you have an extra one, you know? So, <laughs> and I'm happy to do that because sometimes my wife doesn't want to go and I'd rather go with somebody that enjoys the game. And so there's a whole bunch of what they call variables involved. But I think it, you know, one of the main things I think is just always being open to meeting new friends. You know, you never know when they're going to show up and you can make a great friend at age 75 or older depending on your circumstances. That's a great way to keep our minds open, keep thinking about that. Do you think in light of the pandemic that we value our friendships more? I hope so. I've read a number of times that people have said, I appreciate those people more now because I really missed them when we were going on the pandemic. But, you know, there was a saying that was attributed to Will Rogers. And I 
was going to use the quote in my book, but my editor told me that that quote has never been verified. I don't know if you've ever heard this one before, but Will Rogers said, there's no such thing as a stranger. There are only friends that we haven't met yet. And whether Will Rogers said it or anybody else said, I think there's a ton of wisdom in that statement. I look at every person I come into contact with, especially if I'm going to be in a lot of contact with them as a potential friend. And so like, for instance, when I was teaching, there would be new teachers would join our faculty every year. And I would always hope that had something in common with them besides just teaching and that we could be good friends. So the possibilities are now out there since we're opening back up again. So it sounds like a big part of it is just being aware and being open and maybe being more intentional in our interactions with people. I think so. I think, again, there are people that say, hey, I've got a nice, small circle of friends. I'm perfectly happy with them. I don't need any new friends. Again, we're all different. One thing I learned through all the study of neuroscience is that everybody's brain is wired differently. And I used to be one of those people that said, hey, I've got a small circle of friends. I don't need any more, but I'm not that way anymore. I just feel that my life is so enriched by friends. I tell a story, a little story in the book. My wife and I were in Egypt and we were on a tour going all over the place and we were at the Temple of Luxor and we had a wonderful, wonderful guide over there. His name was Mufid and he was actually a dentist, but he liked being a tour guide more because he loved <laughs> Egyptian history and he eventually left dentistry just to become a full-time, he called it Egyptologist. And everywhere we went, in Egypt, people would see him and they would run over to him and they would say Mufid and they would grab him in a big hug and kiss his cheek. And this went on everywhere we went. So one day I was having a coffee with him and I said, Mufid, I said, you have so many friends. And he just looked at me and he smiled and he said, how? He says, nothing is more precious than friendship. And I will never forget that he said that because it got me to start thinking more about how precious my own friendships were. So somebody asked me what's most important in life. You know, I usually family, faith and friends. Those are the three F's. And so it does have to be important to you. There's no question about it. As they read your book, what are they going to take away? What are they going to learn about friendships and what are they going to take away from it? Well, what I hope they learn is that the mental health aspect, the happiness level, the longevity level, the physical health aspect, that's what good friends do for you. And there's all kinds of research that shows that lonely people are not happy people. They're not healthy people and they die too young. And the research should wake people up. And that's one of the reasons I put those findings in the book of people are reading and say, maybe I need to pay more attention or spend more time with my friends. And I hope that's really helpful to people. And also for people who maybe already, they do have a robust group of friends, but they know people who are lonely. Does it kind of maybe spur them on to say, okay, I am going to reach out. I'm going to be more vigilant about reaching out to someone that doesn't have friends. Yeah, I hope so. Because, you know, like, Right now, we have a neighbor who lives across the street, and she's 87 years old and not in great health. And then COVID comes along, and she has to stay in her house by herself. She's a widow. And so my wife and I have done everything we can to make contact with her, even if we had to go in the house with a mask, but just keep in contact and run errands for her and make sure that she's stimulated. And some other neighbors have done the same thing because she's kind of, we live in a cul-de-sac and she's the senior member of the cul-de-sac. So everybody looks out for her. And I think that's really helped her through COVID thing. Yeah. And that's something we can all do for the people around us. 
We it can. It takes time it's yeah. and effort, but it's so rewarding. You know, I have a little quote that I keep right under my desk here. It's from Horace Mann, who's the founder of uh, public schools in the United States. And it's kind of my mission, my personal mission statement. It's we do ourselves the most good doing something for others. And I um, like that. And it, it's really fabulous, you know, because one of my sons, by his own admission, tends to be on the selfish side. And I told him about you're going to find more joy in life if you're other centered, at least in terms of helping people. And he finally has come around to understand and he's in a profession in which he is helping a lot of people. So he's starting to talk about the rewards and the joy of helping others. That's fantastic. You know, this book, The Power of Good News, there is so much that we can learn from it. And as I said earlier, there's so many entry points that we could talk about. And so before I let you go, it doesn't pertain to friendship per se, but I have to ask you about this because you say that the world is better than ever before. And that's not something we hear people saying a lot these days. No, so, I know it isn't. And the reason it isn't is because we are bombarded every day with bad news that you think the world is getting worse and worse and worse. But there was a doctor in Sweden named Hans Rosling. And I mentioned this book in my book and I recommend to everybody they read it. It's called Factfulness. One word, Factfulness. And the subtitle is 10 Reasons reasons why the world is better than you think it is. And it is a fabulous, fabulous book. And it's based on research. This guy had an MD and a PhD. And his life mission was to let everybody know the world is getting better by the day. But it's sometimes hard to convince people of that. I believe it is. Well, I am so glad that we have people like you who are out there reminding us of it, who are continuing to spread this message, push the power of good news. And most of all, I thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk to us about. Oh, this. I'm happy to do that. If I can enlighten somebody else, either by what I said today or by reading my book, then I've done my job because I was a teacher and that's all what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to add something to somebody else's life. That was Hal Urban, author of The Power of Good News, Feeding Your Mind with What's Good for Your Heart. If you'd like to learn more about Hal, sign up for his free newsletter, learn more about his other books, or follow him on social media, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.